This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Spring fly fishing can be an adventure. The old adage says that March comes in like a lion and goes out like a lamb. Well, we've seen years when it comes in like a lion, stays like a lion, goes out like a lion. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. You remember a couple years ago, you floated the upper Madison with our friend Brendan, who was gracious enough to uh, run the drift boat for us. Within two hours, we had snow, sleet, wind, sunny skies. I remember we had to take out for a little while just because it was so, there was like a squall that moved in. it was so bad. It was so stinking cold. Oh, windy, you couldn't see. Well, that's one of the reasons for the adventure. Uh, It's not that you forget how to cast uh, over the winter. Well, maybe maybe I do. (laughs) But hey, after that long layoff, not only do you forget to cast, but you get rusty, you get out of practice. And dot, 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 you get a little soft around the middle. (laughs) That's right. Not me, not me, not me. No, no, not us, that's for sure. (laughs) We're hard bodies throughout the winter. Oh, man, that's right. Six-pack abs all the way. Yeah. Hey, is it lunch yet? Yeah, (laughs) that's right. Oh, well, man, before we go to lunch, we want to think about spring fly fishing. And to help us do that, we've invited our friend Peter Stitcher to join us. It's great to have Peter back in our podcast. He's the founder of Ascent Fly Fishing in Littleton, Colorado. Uh, Peter, welcome back. Thank you for having me. So, Peter, we are approaching spring fly fishing and in the spring it can be chilly wet sometimes snow Uh, if you're talking to a new fly fisher why not wait until may or june when things warm up what are the upsides of fishing in early spring well i think for for many of us that that fly fish we've been just biding our time and and polishing the uh you know our fly reels all winter and and after this winter, gosh, we've just been itching to get outside. So it, it, there's no keeping us off the water. And as soon as it starts warming up a bit, um, the bite's going to turn on. There's some, some major feeding events with some great action in the spring. So, yeah, don't wait for it to be sunny and the river's getting crowded. Like, get out there as soon as you can. There's great fishing in the spring. So what are those major feeding events, Peter? Water temperatures start to climb between 44 and 48 degrees Fahrenheit, when water temperatures kind of fall and sustain in that window, our first major feeding event is the rainbow trout and cutthroat trout spawn. And so as they start dumping eggs in the river, like that game of hungry hippos when you were a kid, you're just slapping that little paddle and those hippos are eating the marbles as fast as they drop, just like that in the river. As these trout start dropping eggs, the browns, the brook trout, Neither and other rainbows and cutthroats will sit behind the spawners and eat those eggs as fast as they drop. So it's the first major calorie dump of the spring. When do you start getting some, some insect hatches that will make a difference? As far as hatches, you know, when we're talking about hatches, people are generally thinking of, of the dry flies. When do we get to start fishing dry flies? In the spring, the action is still going to be probably – 85 to 90% on aquatic life cycles. So the nymph, the larva, the pupa patterns, aquatic worms, and again, the eggs we were just talking about. Um, so 
nymphing and going under the water is going to be more productive. But one of our first major hatches of the spring that happens in 48 states um, is the blooming olive mayfly hatch. And the blooming olives in the spring are typically about a size 18 to a 20 hook size. And, uh, and they are going to consistently come off every morning. And on many of our, our, our streams and rivers where the blooming olives are found, I mean, they're going to be in numbers of anywhere from 500 to 1,200 per square meter on the bottom of the river. I mean, it is a super abundant food source. And as they start leaving the bottom of the river, I mean, the feeding frenzy ensues. It's uh, some of the first really good opportunity for those trout to start regaining some calories. You tend to think in terms of uh, seasons during the spring. I mean, we, we talked about spring, which I guess technically is – I, I think of it as roughly March through May, I, and I, I understand it's technically what March 21st or whatever until June 21st. But is it helpful to think of uh, different seasons in the spring? In the Rockies, we're counting spring really, you know, pre-runoff before that snow starts really coming and, and blowing out the rivers. Right. I mean, that's towards the end of spring. Um, yeah, I mean, segmenting into spring, there are you know specific hatches. In this season, the blooming olives, there's the squala stoneflies um, out west. We have some early brown and black stoneflies out east. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think, there's the spotted sedge caddis. There's a couple really good hatches. And then, of course, uh, the big salmon flies, the stoneflies that are the size of your pinky, are also hatching in the season. So there's some great fishing. Um, water levels are high enough, you can start drifting and boating again. Um, yeah, and you're not you're, you're not getting ice on your your guides uh, in the morning. So, uh, a lot of good hatches. The fish have been waiting after a long skinny winter to start packing on some pounds, and and uh, especially I mean, so early spring water temperatures are fairly low. You know, at 44 to 48. Once they start tipping up above 50, 55 degrees, the fish really start getting active, start feeding much more aggressively. That reminds me, I've I've started to carry a thermometer whenever I fish and strap it to uh, you know my my boot. Is that is, is that anything you recommend, or is that just sort of a well, yeah, that's a fun thing to do, but it really doesn't uh, help you out. Absolutely, um, I think we might have actually talked about that the one of the last times I was on the podcast. But so you know, we create the River Oracle fly fishing thermometer is one that has a, a carabiner. So as we're we're waiting. We will clip that to the knot in our wading boot and slip the bottom down through the lower laces. And so we can track that shift in temperature, start to anticipate, you know, as the season progresses, we're climbing up towards that 44 to 48 degree window. The trout are going to start to get dumb. They're going to start to spawn. Um, and obviously we're not targeting the spawning trout. We're not stepping on reds, but uh, there are, you know, some good uh, activities and feeding events around that temperature. As those hatches start, that blowing olive hatch, when that thermometer is in your boot, you can bend over, look at the temperature. You can note this is the time of day. This is the water temperature that started that hatch. You go back the next day, the next week. You look for that temperature to rise to that point, and it's gonna it's gonna start all over again. Talk about the metabolism of trout. People, I I've read, and you know, in the winter time they slow down and uh, they're eating mostly midges and um, what what is it? Eighty percent of their diet in the in the winter is midges. Is that true? I don't even know if that's true. I should ask you. You're the aquatic biologist. How does the metabolism 
change uh, in their movement, their activity, and how does that affect fly fishing? Well, trout are going to be a lot like us, or specifically a lot like my kids uh, on a cold winter morning when I'm telling them, get out of bed, it's time for school. I mean, it's it's cold at night, we turn down the heater, and it's like that, that bed is a black hole. They don't want to move, they don't want to get out. Same thing for the trout. In water temperatures below 50 degrees, you know, we're really dealing with waters in the high 30s to low 40s too much of the winter. They're, they're slow. They're lethargic. Their metabolism is slow. That means they're not processing food. Combined with the life cycles of our aquatic insects, of their food, most of our bugs, our, our major food groups, caddisflies, mayflies, stoneflies, they hatch, they spawn, they lay their eggs in the summer, warm months, those eggs hatch, and the bugs that are emerging are quite small, very slender. I mean, you're talking size 28 hooks, size 26s, 24s, maybe up to a size 18, and there's not a lot of calories in these little winter life cycle bugs. And so trout aren't going to go out of their way. They're not going to chase up into, into white water, into riffles. Um, there's not enough calories to sustain that amount of action. So trout are sluggish. They're sitting on the bottom of the deepest pools in the river. I'd say in the, in the winter, trout are probably only utilizing 3% of the river. That's the, the energy-safe areas where they're not going to spend more calories than they're getting. Um, but, again, as that water temperature rises, the bugs are getting a little bigger, the trout get more active, and we start getting better fishing come spring. So speaking of uh, calories, um you know, how do you, what do you think about streamer fishing in, in the spring? Maybe as things warm up a little bit more, I mean, good night. Uh, you know, you're always going to have a pretty high-calorie meal if uh, fish thinks they're going after a sculpin or a, a baby brown or something. Uh, you know, what, what's your experience been with, with uh, streamers in the spring? Absolutely. Streamers can be very effective, but how we're fishing the streamers is going to vary significantly between the early spring when water temperatures are still quite cold compared to where we'd fish, you know, midsummer or fall when the water temperatures are hot and the food is much more active. So just like the trout are going to be sluggish and slow, young bait fish, young trout, sculpin, crayfish, all of these, uh, you know, small, or I guess trout foods are also going to be quite slow and sluggish. Leeches in the summer have a very active, ribbon-like motion. They can actually, you know, really take off through the water. In the winter, I mean, it's just like a piece of moss floating down the river. So when I'm fishing streamers in the spring, we are matching the movement and the vigor of these cold-weather, you know, trout foods. And so we might be dead-drifting a leaf pattern, dead-drifting a bugger with slight twitches. We're not active. We're not fast. We're just going with the flow primarily with maybe a little bit of life added to our streamers. That's really helpful. Yeah, that is that is really helpful. Is there anything else? For example, let's say if you're in the Rockies or in the West and you have both rainbow and uh, cutthroat spawning, what's your nymph rig setup? Are you, uh, is your top fly, say, some, some sort of bigger nymph? And then you're dropping an egg pattern. What are what are your what do you generally recommend? Obviously, it depends when and where, but um, just just as a regular setup. The spawn is going to start 
with those raising water temperatures. And so we're going to see it start first at low elevation. So taking into account a river like the Platte River, which, which runs through, you know, from South Park, Colorado, down through Denver, we're typically going to see that spawn start around the first week of March. Um, and then progressively, as that water warms upstream, we might see it reach the very top of the South Platte, um, you know, maybe in uh, late May, all right, because that was water temperature slowly rises as you go up. Trout are savvy investors. They're looking for and they're focusing on the greatest concentration of calories in the water column. And when eggs are in the water, I mean, it's, it's stupidity. It's dumb fish that are hungry and ready to pack on some pounds. So I am almost always fishing an egg pattern in that season. And um, we can talk in a little bit how to do this sustainably, how not to target fish that are actively spawning, which is amazingly important, super important to the life of the fishery. But I'm starting out with an egg, um, a very popular rig uh, during the spring and fall spawn. It's called eggs and bacon. So like a squirmy worm or a sandlawn worm over an egg. Um, I'm also fishing those very abundant mayfly nymphs. They're active. They're in the water column simultaneously with the spawn. So a lot of opportunity to eat those. The fish should be keyed into those. But ultimately, we are waiting for feedback from the fish. They're going to tell us if we're getting it right, if we're matching the foods they're feeding on. So let's say I'm fishing, um, maybe I have a stonefly nymph on. I saw some golden stoneflies when I sang the water. I have a little blooming olive nymph as my second nymph. And maybe my last um, you know, fly is going to be uh, an egg pattern, kind of rolling on the bottom of the river. If those fish consistently ignore my top two flies and only eat the egg, I'm going to double up on the eggs. I'll triple up on the eggs. If I have two egg colors and they only are hitting the orange, well, let's note that and switch to two orange patterns. So we're adjusting based on the feedback of the trout. It's interesting that you uh, usually drop your egg. I know on the Madison in, in uh, you know, Montana, the, the lower Madison actually just coming out of the bear trap, we've often done well uh, just using a, an egg pattern as a lead fly and then dropping like a size 18 uh, copper john or something like that. Sometimes we, we get about half and half. But would you, I guess unless you're using a really tiny fly, um, you probably prefer then to have your uh, – yeah, your 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 last fly, uh, the dropper would be the egg pattern. Is that right? I want my egg closest to the weight. Um, so if you're using a tight line euro nymphing or a drop shot type rig where your weights are on the very end of your line, I want my eggs to be closest to that weight. In our North American style of nymphing, underneath the strike indicator, we typically have our strike indicator to a split shot. I'm going to have my egg closest to that split shot. Eggs in the water are next to the gravel. Our flies that imitate eggs should be as close to the gravel as possible as well. That but, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you can double that up, though, triple that up. And, yeah, when the fish are on it, give them what they want. So you mentioned just earlier about how not to target the spawners. What does it look like for a conservation-minded fly fisher to fish ethically during the spawn? What does that mean? So, Outside of staying off the reds, I mean, that's patently obvious, but um, should you drift a fly over them? Well, what we think is patently obvious as is people that may have had a heritage of, of anglers above us teaching us how to identify this or have been fishing a while, we can identify that. 
but for even for the the most seasoned angler you're coming off a slow frustrating winter and you get out there and all of a sudden you see these big fish stacked up in six to eight inches of water your heart beats and, and you're tempted to fish you know cast for those fish so identifying the reds is, is huge a red is the spawning bed of the trout where they're laying their eggs and we actually on our youtube video have a video on how to ethically fish during the spawn where i take footage above the water and under the water the fish actually on these and teach you how to identify these reds so that's a great resource just for people to refresh on um, so they're not walking in these reds trout do not like to hang out in water that's less than a foot deep they're vulnerable to predators right they're vulnerable to anglers to eagles and so that should be the first clue you see big trout hanging out in less than a foot of water over fast gravel um, that is a sign that they are spawning. And the bottom of the river that marks these reds is going to be sand clear of silt and algae. So it's going to be a bright spot. And that should be just like a, a blinking light, right, like a strobe light. Stay off, stay out. That is where the next generation of trout is waiting to hatch. You walk through that, you just stepped on hundreds of eggs. You've crushed the next population. So we got to identify that. Trout that are in those shallows are off limits. Um, but downstream in the deep pools, that's oftentimes where you're going to find those big brown trout waiting for those eggs to bounce down into that deep water, and they are absolutely fair game. So we're off the shallow water. We're away from the reds. We're not casting anywhere near them. We're not waiting in that shallow water. But instead, we're focusing on that deep holding water where those fish are just gorging on eggs that roll through, those fish are fair game. That is safe water to wade in. Peter, thanks so much. This has been uh, really helpful. Uh, you mentioned some of the, uh, like the video on your website. What, what is your website for those who want to find out a little bit more about uh, entomology or about, uh, yeah, fishing uh, ethically uh, during the spawn? Uh, where do they find that information? Right. Thank you. Yeah, our, our website is, ascentflyfishing.com and on the top of the header we have a section called learn to fly fish and going through there um, they will see our youtube channel where we have these videos they will find our sci-fi blog where we break down that drop shot rig with graphs and you know different tips and tricks for feet you know fishing during the the winter and the spring um, every you know i guess up to four times a month now i'm writing articles that break down the science into something you can tie in your rod. That's all on the blog. And also uh, the podcasts we've been on, including uh, Two Guys in a River, are also embedded there so people can come back, listen to the Orvis podcast, your podcast, and, yeah, really just hone their skills to become better anglers. Peter, thanks again for joining us. This is uh, terrific, and it makes us excited uh, to get out. We're recording this on a 10-degree day. Uh, in uh, the winter, so uh, yeah, that we're, we were already pumped before, but, but now we really are. Yeah. Well, let's get out fishing this spring. Come out to the Rockies, and, and we'll catch some trout. By the way, how often are you able to get out? Given you're running a business and and you're getting other people out on the river in different ways, how often are you able to just enjoy a day or afternoon out on the river? You know, it's uh, and people think if you're in the industry, you fish every day, but. If I'm able to get out once a week right now, it's really good. But, uh, you know, Steve, I'm hoping to put your son, uh, Luke, to work a lot more this season. So, uh, you know, he'll be in the shop, and hopefully I'll fish a couple times a week this summer. 
That sounds good. Well, hey, thanks again, Peter. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Have a great day. All right, it's time for great stuff from our listeners. Here's a comment from Alan on our piece from a couple of years ago on the seven habits of highly generous fly fishers. Uh, seems like we continue to get some comments on that. That's one of those podcasts that I, I think maybe hit a nerve. Uh, well, this is what Alan said. He said, once, actually I've done this several times, I got to where I was going to fish and found I left my boots at home. On this one occasion, I tried to only fish from the bank but was having no fun or luck. As I, as I was walking back to my truck, a guy stopped, he was in his car, to ask how I was doing. He offered to lend me a pair of boots and mail them back to him later. Oh, my goodness. Can you believe that? That is amazing. That is the generosity oh, of the fly fishing community. Oh, wow. Wow. I think he and his daughter were from Pennsylvania, and this was near Brevard, North Carolina. By the way, I don't know if I'm saying Brevard right. It's like uh, I used to live in Helena, Montana, and everybody called it Helena from out of state. So uh, Brevard, Brevard, uh, somewhere in North Carolina. Brevet. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> anyway, uh, so now we're going to get it. Well, you can send us emails and tell us how to pronounce it. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I th this is Alan again. He finishes up by saying, I really wish I had taken him up in his offer just so I could have kept in contact with him. I mean, that's that's amazing, that, isn't that it? That really is. And in, the, the in generosity. An age, yeah, the generosity. Uh, living large. That yeah. is really living large. Dave, I think we should do that this summer, and why don't you do it first? <laughs> you what? offer your Patagonia foot tractors to a, to another fly fisher and... Uh, <laughs> Give him my address. I will stand there and admire you for your generosity. <laughs> no, but really, that that is cool. We we do love stories about uh, generous fly fishers, and uh, so thanks, Alan. Thanks for sending that our way. Well, that's going to do it for today. Hey, what tips do you have to offer for spring fly fishing? To add to what Peter Stitcher shared, uh, you can respond by commenting on this podcast link at twoguysinariver.com. Tell us about your fly fishing experiences on the river in the spring. And thank you for referring our podcast to your TU chapter, your fly fishing club, your friends. Just forward on the link. We're just very, very grateful for that. That's how we grow. If you need to use any of our podcasts or articles for teaching or educational moments, be sure to do that. We'd also love to hear your ideas for podcast episodes. Reach out to me or Steve on Instant Messenger or Twitter. One more thing, if you haven't yet purchased our book, The Fly Fisher's Book of Lists, Life is Short, Catch More Fish, please do so on Amazon. Well, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing.